You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. So here we go, Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9. Things that God gets right, things that God gets right. Lord Jesus, be with us, I pray, amen. Paul will say, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. And then that's an outstanding series of phrases that he's saying. To them belong the patriarchs, and from the race according to the flesh that is in Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Can you say amen? Amen. What God is saying here in this passage that is amazing is that he is God. And let me explain that as we talk about a review sort of, of of these things. So for example, Romans chapter 1, verse chapters 1 through 3. What the Lord is saying that humbles you and I is that we are a train wreck. The human race, every single person, rich man, poor man, every continent, North America, South America, Middle East, Asia, every single human being is a train wreck. Yes? Why we do terrible things. The Bible's explanation of that in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 is called sin. So we're all born with this sin problem. It's a very serious problem. And it confuses people because we as humans, we can accomplish goals. We can accomplish goals even without God. We can have businesses without God. We can be nice to one another without God. We can have some degree of morality without God. It does nothing to take away sin. Sin grabs you, begins to work inside you, begins to bring you down. It'll create all kinds of addictive behaviors. It will create all kinds of ultimate character inconsistencies. And it literally, literally is the goal of the devil through sin to take you to hell. God has another plan. And that plan is seen in chapters 4, 5, and 6, where the blood of Christ is communicated. It's actually a really logical thing that Paul is telling us about the gospel. Because of your sin, that created a debt structure against God that you cannot pay. So if you were to come to church, you come to the church, come to the ranch church, read the Bible, all of that, you might say, okay, I want to take care of the sin problem. Can I write a check big enough? The answer is? You want to say, well, I want to have a behavior good enough. I want to have a behavior good enough. Can you coach me? Can you coach me? Can you teach me how to behavior good enough to take away sin on my own power? The answer is? No. It doesn't exist. We need a Savior. Even though we're offensive to Him, even though we curse God out, even though we speak evil against God, who would love us in spite of the depth and core of our wickedness and actually save us. 
The Bible uses in Romans chapter 3 a word called propitiation. Some translations call atonement. But what it means, it means the blood of Jesus Christ will invade your life and actually change your orientation with God. Not only will you be washed, as the Bible likes to communicate, and cleansed deeply internally, but this, this tense of like anger or distance that you might feel in your relationship with God is taken away because God has wrapped his arms around you and drawn you into himself, and he's now blessing and baptizing your life as he's guiding your life. And Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, which we've gone to, are so outstanding because it's communicating to us the great blessed nature of following Jesus Christ. And the last things that we looked at the last week were that we're not just conquerors, we're more than conquerors in Christ. So it's fascinating now in chapter 9, as you and I would perhaps tend to with those things, especially in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, to think that salvation might be about us, to think that we might be the central focus point of everything that Bible is talking about. Absolutely no. In chapter 9, the Lord comes and says, you know what, my friends, my church, my loved ones, my children? I'm God. I choose. And I have choices that I choose according to my glory for Israel, for the nations, and for the world, and I have it even for you. There are choices I've made in your life that you actually may feel uncomfortable about, excuse me, uncomfortable about, but they actually bring me glory, and they will actually ultimately bless you. I'm God, he says. And so, so let, me, let, me, let me ask you, church, to believe it, and to believe it in this way. So maybe by way of personal illustration, I might say that I wasn't always a good father to my kids. Because what I, what I mean by that is uh, sometimes at night they would be sleeping, they would be just out cold. You know, if you know like babies and all of that, when the baby's sleeping, do you wake the baby up? Oh, but this dad did. Because on an occasion, I couldn't sleep at night. And they looked so cute. And I just wanted to pick them up and just like, they're like warm blankies, you know? And so I would go out to the TV with, the, with my kids on occasion, and I'd put a blanket over myself and them. Of course, I'm totally disturbing. I'm messing up everything, the plan for the household. But it's midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'm putting on a show. And I don't know why I fell in love with, like, these ice truckers from Alaska. <laughs> I have no orientation to this, you know. But it's like, like this is a, wow, these guys are so, in my mind, courageous. But it seemed like the hardest job ever. So they have this show late at night called Ice Truckers. So in this one show with my sons on my chest and uh, kind of all snuggly 1 o'clock in the morning or something like that, this Ice Trucker show, the whole thing was that they had to go over a lake. And, and, and the guy who was there, like credentialed to say that the le- you could pass on it, they were saying, no, we think you're in the wrong. That's a translucent looking lake. And so, so we're not going here. And, you know, all these trucks, these 18 wheelers, are they're just so far backed up and so far backed up. Well, you know where the show's going to do. Ultimately, some trucker is going to be courageous. He's going to listen to the guy in charge. He's going to listen to the guy who knows. And he's going to say, I believe that that lake will hold the truck. And so here we go. You know, and it's all the masculine bravado, you know, ah, 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 with the gears and the shift and all of that off to the side. And sure enough, 
He goes across the lake just fine. You know, and then everybody's on their horn and, you know, everybody goes off. Okay, it's a cute, cheeky story, right? I don't know. Would you be the first one to go? I don't know. In the same way that that first trucker had to believe that guy in charge. Believe me that I know what I'm talking about when I say the lake is frozen to such a degree that the biggest trucks going across our country roads can go safely across it. In the same way God is saying, I want you to believe a very simple and singular principle. I'm God and you are not. And I'm going to have a conversation with you now about Israel, chapter 9, past, chapter 10, present, chapter 11, in the future. It's a simple outline. I'm going to have a conversation with you, but you will not understand it at all if you do not accept that I am God sovereign, which means I'm not asking your opinion. I'm not interviewing you for how to do human history. I'm not considering all of your desires. I have made a God, Father, sovereign choice over the nations. And I want you to believe it. And for us, that's a little sobering because we're not used to talking like that. And so here at the very beginning, Paul is communicating a very sweet truth. He's saying, I would give my life and my salvation for my Jewish brothers. That's how clueless they are to the gospel. And I would give my actual life in terms of salvation, not just the physicality, but I would, I would rather, I would choose to go to hell if they would be saved. That's what he's saying. It's an outstanding series of claims by introduction. Let me tell you, I don't know if I'd ever say that to you. I mean, I love you all. You're nice, right? Let's be a church family. And I give my life to you, but my salvation, I mean, knowing Christ as we're going to talk about, I don't know. That's an incredible phrase. So continuing on now, the text says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac, now a few illustrations, your, your offspring will be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah will, shall have a son. And not only so, but also Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they, they were not yet born and had nothing either good, done nothing either good or bad. But in order to continue, God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. For she was told, the older will serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Okay, so first, first thing that God gets right, first thing that God gets right, as I outline this passage and as we work through it, the first thing is that God chose Israel as his firstborn son. God chose Israel. So that reference of firstborn son, by way of cross-reference, is Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 when Moses is told by God, you go and tell Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh, all of the Israelites, that nation that I have created, that is my son. And sometimes lost when you read the Bible, is at the very beginning of the drama of Exodus. The continuation of the thought that Moses is supposed to go back and tell Pharaoh, is Israel's my firstborn son. Do you know what the next verse says? It relates to the Passover. If you will not let my son come and worship me, 
I will take your son, Pharaoh, and I will take all the firstborn of those who are hurting my children. That's what Moses will say. He, he, he hasn't done anything. He has a little stick in his hand that God like anointed, you know. And so, so he's got to go tell Pharaoh that. That's Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. What God got right was he chose to tell us about human society, to take out of slavery these people who would become free, to move them into a promised land. And these are all the books of the Bible of, of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges. And people trip up about Israel going in the land in those battles. So the battles in the Canaanite land is because all of those nations that were there and they have like ite endings, the Jebusites and the, the termites and you know all of that and the, you know those kind of nations. All of those nations were actively practicing child sacrifice amongst other things that I cannot even talk about. Some of you have been with me in personal Bible study and, I, and I've detailed for you and, and some of you have started crying. This is what those nations were doing. It was so dark and ugly and, and so God, God gave them chance to repent. If you will not, my free children will come out and we will cleanse the land of that wickedness. And he commands them in Deuteronomy, never do these things. Never practice child sacrifice. Never get into divination. Never get into all these other behaviors which are so dark and wicked. Never do that. I am not like that, God says. So he chose Israel. He got it right. And it was his to choose and he did it so that we could see Jesus. And if you want to know how to see Jesus, well, God set up all of these things so that we would see the days of Christ, so that we would understand Jesus Christ. Secondly, related to the passage we just read, is what God got right is that he keeps his covenant and he keeps his promises. He keeps his covenants and he keeps his promises. God's a promise keeper. He's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. And he's a promise maker and keeper over your life. You will finish strong in your life. That is a promise of God. There's a seal for Christians, and you will finish the race. You will not deny Christ, and you will overcome every darkness. You will climb those mountains, and you will be, as the Scripture said, by God's divine promise, more than a conqueror. So if you don't feel like a conqueror today, that's okay. God's at work. But you will be that more than a conqueror. That will be a gospel promise unto you. He keeps his promises. He kept a promise that he actually made to Eve. And, and so for Eve, when you read the text in Genesis, it was unto her. And remember, she kind of was that, sort of that first sinner in that sense, along and with Adam. And so, so she, the Lord says, you will actually have a child who will be the redeemer. He will actually smite Satan on the head, and he will take him right down. And so you got to think that she's thinking, now she's kicked out of, out of the garden with Adam, and she's thinking, I want to get back into the garden. In the garden of Eden, you're kicked out. You think, I want to get back in. I'm going to have a child. Now I'm going to have a child. Are my children going to be able to get me in there? And that's Cain and Abel. It doesn't look like it. And there'd be the temptation to think that God forgot his promises. No, that was a lineage, a sacred, divine lineage that was going to go to Jesus. He kept his promise with Moses, as I just mentioned, that there would be a nation. The purpose of that nation leaving Egypt was so that we would worship. And one of the divine promises of your life is that you need to worship Jesus. 
And we need to worship God. You need to worship him in spirit and in truth. You need to be a worshiper. And he will meet you in worship. He will, he will need and marinate your heart. He will, he will confirm and confirm all of these things. And you will see God and experience his presence through worship. He kept his promise to David. That's called a kingdom. That there would always be a king that would sit on his throne. And that king would be Jesus. And then to you and I, as we're now reading this text... There was something called the new covenant. Jesus, the night before he died, spoke of this new covenant. We actually engage in and worship God through communion, which will be coming. We shut it down because of COVID, just commercial, right? And didn't we got to get anybody weird, but it will kick that right back up as a spiritual discipline. And so, so we have this new covenant. So Christians are born again. Christians are royal heirs. We're not slaves. We're sons and daughters of the king. We have inheritance and we have rights and we have privilege and we can pray and know that our father's listening. We can, we can have authority. We can expel demons. We can, we can reclaim light into dark places and we can, we can see our families restored and we can have redemption. New covenant. So we don't pray as others would, we have a grace of God. I just released to you now the grace of God. And it would soak in your heart. That it would dominate your mind. That you would be free of the brokenness in our souls of works orientation. You tend to think, and I tend to think, <clears throat> excuse me, that our blessings are because of obedience. Okay, church, let me ask. Here's, here, pastor's going to quiz the church right now. Okay, yes or no, church, Christians should obey Jesus Christ? Yes. That doesn't earn you your blessings. Your blessings are grace of God. That's why sometimes you look, and you look at your blessings, and you go, I didn't deserve this. That's right, you didn't. God loved you, he gave it. Obedience is an act of worship that is related to holiness, and holiness is a tremendous relief. Bondage? No. That's not a relief. Addiction? No, that's not a relief. Holiness is freedom. Wonderfully, wonderfully. So let's chase one or two thoughts that came up here, especially in verse 13. You know, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Uh, let, me, let me run with that for just a moment. So, What's fascinating about that verse that frustrates me greatly that even commentators sometimes don't get straight. All right, so this is where you got to know your Bible. Jacob and Esau, twins, uh, the, the, the promise, the choice is that the younger brother is going to be more dominant than the older brother. There's going to be a switch, and God will work out that in terms of his will. Both brothers will be blessed of God. And so Jacob actually thinks that he's blessing Esau. He's blessing Jacob, who is stealing this blessing. He's already taken the firstborn right, and yet he will bless Esau, who will still be a great nation. They're called the Edomites. The Edomites, by a family line, this is just south of the Dead Sea. So if you want to look on one of your Bible maps, kind of thing, just south of the Dead Sea, that's Edom, that's the Edomites, and that is the historical lineage that actually goes back uh, thousands and thousands of years to the days of Esau. So this verse that says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated, 
is actually related to the descendants, not to the person. That is a quote from Malachi. It's a thousand-year time gap from, from Jacob and Esau proper. And at that point, uh, Malachi is actually with a very important person by the name of Nehemiah, and he is actually uh, calling out into repentance uh, the nation. And he's saying, look, it, you guys have been so sinful, it's like this upside-down thing where God loves one and loves the other. I want you guys to knock it off. But it is related to God's choosing. Earlier, there's the choosing of Abraham and then Isaac. And of course, they're rebellious. And so they don't, they don't, <laughs> they don't wait on God. I'm sure, I'm sure if I ask, who has actually not waited on God in their lifetime? Would you raise your hand, right? Well, I think we would all kind of raise our hands, right? We're all sort of have lived there at times or seasons, or maybe you came in there where God said, I want you to wait on this promise, and you didn't wait on this promise. You thought, you thought X was how to fulfill waiting on God. It was not the case. That's Abraham and Sarah. And we would understand that. You know, he's 99 years old, and he's supposed to be able you know, to have a kid, and she's, she's right there with him, and she's been infertile her whole life. How is this going to happen, God? There's obviously must be somebody else. And so, so she gives him his handmaiden, a much younger gal, and they have a kid by the name of Ishmael. And it seems logical. Okay, we're going to have Ishmael. And Ishmael's actually a good kid. And he's actually blessed because he's Abraham's kid, and God says it's not Ishmael. It's going to be another kid named Isaac. And through that one, I'm going to raise up the promised seed of the Messiah. And those are the verses that are spoken of there, that through Isaac, your offspring shall actually be named. And now, continuing on in verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, church, you have to receive this, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whoever he wills and he hardens whoever he says. You will then say, why does he still find fault? This is where we have to humble ourselves for who can resist his will, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable? Okay, let me pause there. He chose Israel. He got that right. He keeps his covenants and his promises. He got that right. And it's his choice to choose. He gets that right. You don't want to be in the divine choosing spot with God. You really want to stay away from that. That's generally trouble. You want to let God be God. The idea of hardening Pharaoh's heart is fascinating. In the book of Exodus, there's actually 14 references to the hardening of the heart. And seven actually say that he hardened his own heart first, and then God came and hardened it. And again, this is one of those principles. It's why at the end of service, I ask for us to respond uh, to Christ in some way. Because when 
Christ says, do X, go here, be humble this way, cooperate with me this way, worship that way. The answer needs to be yes, or you can harden your heart. And so Pharaoh actually hardened his heart first, and then God, God just squeezed it all the more. And the text is saying, if that brings me glory, don't talk to me about it. Just stay on the right side of the track with me, and you'll be blessed of me. Related to the election passages that come up, I'm going to reference my brother in the Lord, Skip Heisig, who had a great YouTube teaching on this, and, and uh, I would encourage you to listen to it. And so it works like this, and I think it's a fantastic illustration to think about the nature of election. And so, uh, so soon, I hope to go, <clears throat> excuse me, participate on the East Coast in my father's memorial, so I'll get on a plane. You know what's fascinating about that plane? Uh, that plane didn't ask me about the destination. That plane's going to the East Coast. It's going to Tampa, Florida. They didn't say, no one's asking me, is it okay if flight whatever goes to Tampa? They said, this plane is going that direction. Now it's your choice to get on or off. By the way, you can do it a couple different ways. Do you want to go through Denver or you want to go nonstop? Everybody should say nonstop, right? We never want to connect through Houston. Phoenix never works out for me. It's always a long layover. But you have that choice. What plane do you want to get on? Because there's more than one going that direction. It is not asking your opinion, nor cooperating with your desires. It is going one way, get on or off. You can get on in the morning, you can get on at night. You can choose to not get on. But that plane by authority that does not answer to you has chosen to go in that direction. And now you can make an independent choice whether to get on or off. That's the only way, by way of illustration outside of the scriptures that I can think to talk about divine election. Continuing on now. 23, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels for, vessels for mercy, of which he prepared beforehand, even whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed it says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I call my people, and her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in a very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. It's a fascinating passage with the Hosea because Hosea, as an illustration of salvation, as a righteous man, is asked to marry a prostitute. And so God is using that illustration to say, I will love those who are unlovable. I will love those in the darkest places. I will save those who are most destitute. I will save people from their most crudest and grossest embarrassment, and I will call them mine. I'm that saving God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of my sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth, fully as predicted in Isaiah. If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. And so just because you go to a church, just because you practice religious ritual, just because you're born into a nation as an Israelite does not mean you're saved. Earlier, Paul will talk about the heart and say our circumcision is of the heart. 
both of the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant, both for Jews and Gentiles, our circumcision needs to be over our soul and our spirit and our heart. I'll tell you something, if you don't know this about the book of Isaiah, it's so fascinating. So it's 66 chapters. And how many books of the Bible are there, church? Say 66. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 39 are in the Old Testament. 27 in the New Testament. But you already knew that. You're saying, Pastor, hurry up. So the book of Isaiah is fascinating. 39 chapters speak of all the Old Testament covenant blessings. All the Old Testament covenant truths and everything related, related to Israel. 27 last chapters are all related to the Messiah, Christ, King, and the New Covenant. So these verses are actually in that former section speaking only to Israel. Israel, do not think that because you were simply born ethnically, born racially, or, born, or performing these rituals, that that actually has you to be saved. Your heart must be saved before God by the blood of Christ. Last and fourth thing that in my outline I'm saying that God got right is that he made election about love. So all of this section is that he's made election about love. So I've had three instances with people that didn't ever go to the church and didn't go to the ranch church. And uh, over 30 plus years of ministry. And so here's what's happened that sort of that relates directly to this. So three stories just like this. And I don't know why the guy comes out looking terrible. But it has to do with engagement. And the boy loves the girl, and they've been together for a couple of years. And so he now, he now, he now gets down on his knees, and he says, I marry you. I've got the ring. I've got all the preparations. He has everything very romantic. It's all sweet and nice. And the girl says, no. And of course, he goes, well, Why? Why are you rejecting my proposal? We've been together for a few years. You know, we, we maybe just started going to church and, and, and I love you and I've got the ring and I've got this, I've got that. Why, why won't? She starts crying. She cries and she cries and she cries three times, three times over 30 years. The girl lets it out. Here's why I can't marry you. You actually continually have really bad breath. You have terrible oral hygiene. And I've been trying to find the courage over two or three years, which that's a whole nother story, to tell you that I can't take your breath. And so, no, I can't go to the altar with you. And, I, I, and so the breakup's there, and they, you know, these aren't church people. They find their way, and I hear these stories. I'm like, wow, let me just tell you that when I got trained to be a pastor, this was not included in the training exercise. <laughs> Salvation says something in Corinthians that's so fantastic. That to know Christ is to know a sweet aroma. That there's, a, there's an aroma that comes from the presence of God, from the heart of God, from Jesus Christ. There's an aroma that is rich, the Bible describes, that is beautiful, that the Bible describes, that is sweet, that the Bible describes, that you just actually want to plant your face in it. C.S. Lewis was so enamored with this that in his Chronicles of Narnia, he describes this Aslan figure with, his, with Lucy and, and talks about how Lucy, when she would smell this with Aslan, would allow Aslan to come close and to just plant her face and she would smell this sweet 
fragrant aroma. And that storyline by typology of Christ. And so this is salvation. When Christ chooses you, it's so that you could smell the sweet aroma of his face. And having smelled it, nothing else will ever be sweeter. The church allow me to pray and ask us to respond positively to the gospel message. So Lord Jesus, we pray now at this moment asking that you would actually help us to be comfortable with your choosing, to be intellectual about the things that you've given us the ability to be intelligent about and to release unto you the things which belong to your divine purposes. And so I pray now over us as a church And so churches, everyone is there, just quiet before God. If you're just right in this moment saying, I, I just really desperately need this. I, I need to smell that sweet aroma of the fragrance of Christ once again. It feels far and not present. If that's you, I want to pray for you. And, and in doing that, I'm going to ask you to join me here for, in front of the church for a, a, a prayer time. It will require humility on your part. But I, I know that Christ will meet with you. And so if that's you you, 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 you need to say, I need that fragrant aroma of Christ. I need to smell that once again, I need to engage with that once again. I'm going to ask you, if you agree with that, to be bold and get out of your seat and join me here for prayer right now. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.